0: This week on Dokkan Gamer, Fallout 3, Fable 2, Shadow of the Colossus, and a discussion on the horror genre. I don't want to set the world on fire. I just want to start a flame in your heart. In my heart I have but one desire And that one is you No other will do Happy Halloween everybody and welcome to episode 4 of Dokkan Gamer. And as I promised, I'm being a little bit more diligent about my podcasting, so I am back this week. And I'm going to try to mix things up a little bit and discuss two games for Highest Score this week, instead of just one. Um, As you know, Highest Score is all about um, reviewing game on a more consumer level. I don't actually own the games I'll be talking about in this segment, and it's mostly really a guide to people out there who are like me, still questioning or hesitating to buy a certain game, deciding whether or not to buy it or if it's worth their money. So that's the question I'm going to ask. I'm gonna answer at the end of this segment, whether or not I'm going to buy these games or whether I am going to buy these games. Um, so this week, first of all, I would like to talk about Fallout 3. So um, a little background around Fallout 3, if you don't know much about it. Um, it's the next installment. Well, it's an next game by Bethesda Studios, um, the same makers of Oblivion, Elder Scrolls, Oblivion Four, I should say, Elder Scrolls, and pretty much that's all I know. That you know, um, that's pretty much pertinent now. Um, Fallout Three is a little interesting for me because I didn't even know that Fallout One or Fallout Two even existed at the first in the first place, and really, it's not one of those games I admit right now that I was really looking forward to at all, even back then. Um, I do remember watching the trailer... I don't know, when was that? A year ago or something? Um, the, the theme of which you listened to um, at the start of this segment, um, that is from one of their trailers. Um, a very, very beautiful trailer, I might add. Has that retro um, kind of feel to it, and, you know, it reminds me very much of Bioshock. And I guess that is one of the reasons why this game didn't really click with me right away, because it felt too much like Bioshock in that, you know, it had that pretty much retro feel, had the same sort of, um, I don't know, chronological placement, if I'm using that right. It seemed to have been set in the same time and place as Bioshock. And as a big fan of Bioshock, which came out a year before Fallout, you know, it just seems to me, not knowing anything about the franchise at all, that Fallout was just another Bioshock. Because, quite honestly, um, you know, um, whatever... Because the game itself wasn't very much um, revealed back then. There, were, It was very covert. Not a lot of people knew how it was going to be... How it was gonna turn out, and for somebody who doesn't really know anything about the game at all, I didn't even know what genre it belonged to. So, seeing their early trailers, they didn't show any gameplay at all. Didn't talk about much about the game. Um, showing that um, that that character, I, I don't I guess that that mutant dude who has this um, gas mask on with a gun. I really presumed that it was another FPS. I mean. I was sure it was going to be a a, a pretty different FPS, especially since it's, it would be coming from Bethesda Studios. But, you know, it still struck me as an FPS. And, you know, the retro kind of FPS had, void had already been filled by Bioshock. So I really didn't find any need to really pay attention to this game. Until, up until very recently, when, you know, all these videos have come out of Fallout... Um, after EA 2008 and all of that, when more details about the game were surfaced, and, you know, I was basically introduced to the whole concept of the game itself. Um, honestly, it's, it's it's a game, again, that doesn't really appeal all that much to me because, well, not only because it, it felt like Bioshock, but then now that I know more about the game, now it strikes me more as another Oblivion. Not to say that's, how, that's not a, that's a bad thing or anything, but it's another Oblivion. And I've never played Oblivion 4, at least, or any of the Oblivion games, for that matter. And, you know, it just seems to me like one of those time-sync games that you really spend hours and hours on. And not that that's a bad thing. I mean, of course... Um, bang for the buck, right? You always want these games that basically last 200 hours, 100 hours, or whatever, or at the very least 70 hours, much like Twilight Princess did. And I love Twilight Princess. But but then again, you know, to me, it Oblivion 4 was more like, or seems to be more like something like Baldur's Gate, which is like the hardcore rest of the hardcore RPGs, right? I have played Baldur's Gate. I never, you know even made it through a tenth of the freaking game. I mean, it was just that difficult to... So, so difficult to get into, for me, at least. And it's just such... It's that kind of game that intimidates me from the very beginning. I mean, you know, the, the sheer scale of it or and the sheer complexity of the systems just really sort of turns me off. As much as I consider myself a hardcore gamer, I'm not that much of a hardcore gamer. I mean... You know what? Baldur's Gate, Oblivion, and I guess now Fallout 3... All just seem to be more of a Dungeons & Dragons kind of thing for me. I mean, I've never really played Dungeons & Dragons. It just seemed too much of a chore for me. There's just so much effort that you put into just playing the game... That, to me, getting to that enjoyment part just might take too long. I mean, you know, you're just learning the game... So much, investing so much time just learning the game. And, you know, that just kind of sucks out all the enjoyment out of it. Um, not to say that I'm afraid of learning games. I guess, you know, I'm just in that point in my life as a gamer that, you know, I'm getting a little impatient. Um, you know, uh, as as a gamer from the very beginning, who wasn't afraid of learning all these things. I guess right now, there's just so many high-quality games out there that I really, really want to play. That I just don't want to spend so much time just in this one game. I mean, before, when you were like 10 years old, having one game to play in a month was really a treat already. But these days, man, I mean, you're faced with the choice of playing five top-quality games in a month, if you're lucky, that is. I mean, you know, especially now in uh, fall... The Okay, that was a tricycle. Anyway... um now that we're in times wherein all these games come out, these really, really huge releases come out, you'll be easily faced with, like, eight games to play in a month, and, you know, that's not really a pretty picture, because if you want to play all these games, then, and finish them, of course, then, you know, you really can't afford to spend too much time on just one title, and it seems to me that, you know, um, Fallout 3 seems to be that kind of a game. Um, Again, that's not really a bad thing, it's just that that time sync element of it, it's kinda like World of Warcraft for me. That I'm sure it's a brilliant game and it it I don't even have to play it to know that it's good. But it's just that investing so much time in just one game just isn't really, really healthy to me at least. You know, if you really want to get the most out of gaming, then you can't be stuck in just these certain games for far too long. Um But that said, you know, Fallout 3 still really, really appeals to me, especially since I have not played Oblivion and know just how big Oblivion was and how much people really, really loved it. I will say, too, that the art style of Fallout 3 doesn't really appeal to me, whereas everybody's, you know, been praising it and everything for how great the graphics are. And even in Oblivion 4, everybody just praised it and how good it looked and everything and how massive, you know, the world is. And still how great all the detail is. To me, you know, um, it still never clicked, never has. The trailers did click to me. I mean, you know, with the... I don't know what you call that mascot they have. I guess he's the pit, the, uh, the the vault boy or something like that. But that, you know, that retro kind of look, porcelain kind of... Uh, statuesque-looking thing really did appeal to me. But then, when the game... You know, know, before they revealed anything about the gameplay at all, all the trailers looked beautiful to me. And it really, really... um, sort of... What do you call this? um, Interested me, um, art-wise at least. But then, you know... uh, when the gameplay so- came out, footage of the gameplay came out, and everything—it suddenly didn't really click with me. Uh, much like how Oblivion 4 didn't click with me. But then again, I do appreciate the eye to detail that the artists did have, and it is beautiful. But you know, it's not—you know—it's just not my taste. Um, but I am not going to say that it's bad or anything. It's not in- intolerable, but you know, I, I definitely prefer say, the art style of something like, say, Mass Effect, you know, um, if we are going to talk about more RPG-esque games. um, I mean, you know, that said, even Bioshock didn't really appeal to me artistically all that much, or at least as much as I thought it would. Um, I love the design of Big Daddy and everything, but, you know, that weird kind of stylized look of all the... What did you call them again? The, um, nom, nom, nom. the, wow, I forgot what you called them. Um, You know, the mutated genetically splicers, there you go, splicers in Bioshock. They didn't really, you know, they didn't seem all that realistic. They seemed very, very cartoony, but not, you know what I mean? Um, I'm sure they wanted it to look stylized, but still realistic, but, you know, both of that combined didn't really translate as an art direction, or at least an art feel. and didn't really connect with. But then you know, again, it's not all about these individual looking things. At the very end, Bayash shock to me was a very very beautiful game, and I'm sure Fallout Three is going to be a very very beautiful game as well. It's just that you know, um, just these individual 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 artistic choices didn't don't really click with me. But that said. It still look. I know, I still appreciate the whole artistic direction that they're taking. Um, so after all of that and everything, you know, it's kind of a half half thing for me. Fallout Three. I really don't know much about the game, nor do I really. Um, how should I say? It? Did I really care much to really delve into it? You know, um, it's still it's it's another one of those super, super open world games, very, very sandboxy, do anything you want kind of thing, I suppose. Um, and I really, really love the theme. I mean, the story behind it, you know, all humanity supposedly being locked in this vault or everything after a post apocalyptic explosion, nuclear explosion, or, you know, stuff like that again. That really, really appeals to me in a very, very dark kind of future thing, post-apocalyptic stuff, like I said, very steampunky kind of feel as well. Um, But then again, you know, it's still eh, iffy to me, but at the end of the day, quite honestly, I will have to say that this game um, has really, really made me curious about the whole thing. I was really, really impatient with games like Baldur's Gate and everything. I tried, I really gave it a shot, tried to play it, but never really liked it at all. It was just too tedious. But then again, you know, Fallout is definitely not Baldur's Gate. Um, I've seen Oblivion 4 in action, never really played it, but it really did um, interest me. And quite honestly, Fallout 3 does interest me as well. And I think I would be doing myself a disservice if I didn't play this game at all or didn't own something like it. So, you know, at the end, my verdict is, yes, I will buy this game. But, and, but then again, I will say that this is not really an all-out. Yes, I will buy this game, definitely. But more of a game I will buy because I just love the industry and I want to, you know open open my perspectives, I guess, you know... Why do my perspectives, sorry, why do my perspectives and really just try out a different game that I'm not too comfortable with or at least doesn't seem to appeal to me all that much, but I do want to know why everybody just seems to love this game, you know, or have anticipated this game for so long. So, that said, I'm actually really, really looking forward to buying the PC version of it because... You know, I still don't have my PlayStation, nor do I have my Xbox 360. And I think, you know, Bethesda is one of those publishers that really do PC games really, really well. And, you know, um, again, PC games just turn out to be a lot cheaper here in the Philippines. So, probably going to save me a thousand bucks or so. So, definitely going to pick that up as soon as it comes out. Um, Probably maybe next week, because the Asian release i think hasn't arrived yet but i will check it out tomorrow when i go to the store so that's it for fallout 3 i think i would say that i still would recommend it to any of you who can afford it but you know it's it's one of those things that i'm more half and half about first time i guess and moving on let's go to talk about fable 2 now even more than Fallout 3, Fable 2 really didn't spark my interest at all, especially after, you know, sort of the the flop, should I say, of Fable 1. Not that I'm gonna say that Fable 1 was bad or anything, but, you know, Peter Molyneux just really, really set the expectations for this game so, so freaking high that it, there was no way that it was going to um, meet those expectations at all. But from what I've heard, about Fable 2. And it's really a game that I wasn't really planning to talk about at all. But, you know, after all the reviews just came out, after the game actually came out into the market and everybody's been talking about it and everything, it seems that you know, the, 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 the vision of Peter Molyneux of Fable 1 has actually come through come true in Fable 2. So what is, you know, the story of Fable anyway? Um, much like other uh, Black Lion, Black Lion was it? Black Lionhead, sorry, Lionhead Studios. Um, other games have been like Black and White. There you go. That's where the black came from. Actually, um, it really is about how should you? How should I put it? Um, really having this unique experience of control over things like Black and White was a god. Uh, game, and it basically gave you that choice between good and evil, right? And you had supposedly full control of being good and evil. So Fable kind of takes that um, a step further and really puts you in a position wherein you really develop this certain character. And it's not a god game anymore. It's this um, action-adventure game, kind of RPG-esque game that... You take in this role of this character, which you customize yourself in terms of you know looks and everything, and every decision you make throughout the game, um, really you know makes you either good or bad, and all of that. So, it's really basically a game that has this huge, huge sco- scope, huge, huge vision that, um, it's supposed to be this unique experience for the player when you really feel that all the decisions you make really contribute to making you who you become at the end of the game or, you know, who you are at, the, at that particular moment. How your past decisions have really um, influenced or have really affected who you have become. It's kind of like Spore in that sense, so, you know, um, it's that big of a scope, that big of, a, a, you know, a sort of dream or a, a mission for the game that is so overwhelming and everything but supposedly from what i've heard of reviews and everything this game really does a pretty good job of doing that um just how it assists the player in really feeling part of the world and really um living in this breathing living world that has been created for you and really immerses you into it it seems very very interesting again kind of like fallout 3 You know, the art direction to me is a little off, again. um, It seems like it was really meant to be stylized, but it was just too realistic for its own good. Like, if you're going for stylized, just go for stylized, you know? um, If you're going for a little bit more realistic, then go for realistic, right? I mean, of course, that's just my opinion and everything. It still looks beautiful, again, overall. But, you know, just if I just look at the the characters and everything, it just didn't really click with me. You know, it kind of looks funky or whatever. Maybe it might be the colors or how, you know, the textures were treated or everything. I mean, you know, it's all opinions and everything. But, again, you know, it's not as beautiful a package as I would say Dead Space was. Um, You know, just... Because I just reviewed that last week, I'm just gonna put that out there um but again um i'm not I never want to judge a game on the visuals itself. I really am one who focuses on what a game tries to con- you know what the games try to do what the game tries to do dif- differently, sorry, and what it really you know tries to stress upon the player itself okay? what it really tries to make the 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 player like me experience and if it succeeds in making me feel what it intends me to feel then that's a game that I think is very very good um because primarily really uh, video games are really something you experience I mean visually um audibly uh, I forgot audio wise whatever um even philosophically at times or You know, it just feeds you all uh, these ideas and everything. And it's just really, really that total experience that encompasses what video... What, you know, what games are. I mean, that's how you judge a video game. The total experience, right? Um, That goes without saying, I suppose. But then again, you know, Fable 2 is just this game that... While it really does appeal to me and, you know, the whole dog companion thing does appeal to me the whole economic system appeals to me as well wherein you you know you can be uber uber rich in this game too it's kind of like has that sims vibe for me that you live this person's life for them but then again it has all this action as well action adventuring which i love too which kind of reminds me of diablo right now and you know um you know the pet it reminds me of WoW, although I've never really played WoW or anything. But you know, um, it's just—it seems like a very, very huge game. Um, it's and if it does sort of fulfill, you know, the whole vision of Fable, um, much closer than Fable One did, then I think it's a game that I should try, much like Fallout Three, where while the game might not have appealed to me from the very beginning. What it has achieved, or at least what people say it has achieved, has really, really got my attention. So, um, I would buy this game, but the really, really big problem is it's only available for the 360, and I don't have a 360, unfortunately. So, you know, for the first time in highest score, I'm actually going to say that I can't buy this game. I would want to buy it, but reality is I can't, I mean, unless I... I think it's a system seller, and I don't. I think I mentioned that last week. I don't think it is a system seller. Although it is a game that I would wish they would... Um, I mean, I wish would come out on the PC. If it does, then I think I will pick it up. Definitely, if only for the chance to to really um, experience it as a game and again, just to show my support for games that try to do things differently, to support you know, um, designers and you know, um, thinkers like Peter Molyneux, who really try to push the video game um, industry forward and just you know, really promote the medium itself. So I guess that's it for High Score, hope you enjoyed that, and next up, uh, game over. So welcome to Game Over, the segment wherein I talk about games that I've actually played and am planning to finish a game, hence the name Game Over, or not finish it at all, hence Game Over, Uh, you know. Um, So the song you just listened to right now came from a trailer of Shadow of the Colossus, the game I'm talking about this week, and really, Shadow of the Colossus, if you're not familiar was a game that came out around like three years ago, but I've only had the chance to play this game quite recently, a few months ago. Um, I haven't actually finished the game yet, but I was quite addicted to the game when I did play it. I was basically finishing, like, killing off a few colossi... Um, every night, I think I was I played for like a few days, killed around six or seven of the thirteen colossi, and I really thoroughly enjoyed myself. But I had to stop myself from playing because I thought that I would be finishing the, finishing the game too early, and I just really wanted to stretch the life of the game. And I guess you know I overdid that a little bit. I haven't been playing the game for a few months now. So anyway, for you guys who aren't familiar with Shadow the Colossus. Like I said, it's a game that came out around three years ago, 2005. Um, Came out around the time that God of War came out. And it was actually a contender for Game of the Year at the time um, against God of War. But, you know, eventually I think God of War did garner more awards for Game of the Year. But definitely Shadow of the Colossus was there as a very, very close second. If not, I think I would actually argue that this game should have won because... Um, you know, I, you know, just looking at the game, it just had more things original than God of War did. Um, while, you know, I think the main character, whatever his name is, kind of lacks lacks the appeal of, uh, you know, a real hero. Um, but then that's the same problem that Kratos has, as I've discussed, um, in a previous episode. You know, they might not have that charisma or anything. Um, But then again, it's much, much more forgivable in Shadow of the Colossus for me, because I think the purpose was for this character to really be just a nobody, right? I mean, not like Kratos, who was supposed to be this huge protagonist, sort of antagonist, kind of conflicted hero thing. This guy in Shadow of the Colossus really was just some, you know, normal schmuck, some, you know, regular Joe who was just, um, you know, played around by the fates or whatever and just was put into this super super grand adventure that was way way you know it was just way over his head but you know eventually um conquered the odds and everything so what is shadow of the colossus exactly it's you know it can't really be classified in any particular genre but if it did i guess it would fall under the category of action adventure um, with sort of, not even really RPG because you don't really level up or anything. But, you know, I guess an a, an action-adventure which feels as epic as an R- RPG. And I guess that's where, you know, how special this game really is because it actually isn't all that epic um, in terms of length or the world or anything. But, you know, it just exudes that epicness basically because of a design choice that... You know the team actually did, and you know it, it is. And you know talking about more about the game, it's really this game wherein you're just pitted against all this colossi, and we're just not talking about some regular colossi, right? These colossi are huge, you know and I mean, but what I mean by huge are they're they're you know mon- monumental size, like they're as big as freaking buildings, to be honest. I mean. They're bigger than dinosaurs. They're bigger than all these crazy things that you can think of. They're literally stories big. I mean, um, I guess the biggest colossus I ever um, dealt with was at least 10 stories high. And you could just imagine just how big that is. And I guess it's that feel of being pitted against all these really, really huge monsters that, you know, um, contributes much to the epicness of this game. And the thing is, you know, it's just such a unique design because... These Colossi, these 13 Colossi that you fight throughout the game are really the only elements that you interact with in the game. So, in a way, these 13 Colossi are 13 levels, are 13 bosses that you have to fight, and that's all there is to the game. Which is sort of simplistic if you think about it, but when you delve in more deeply into it, it's such a brilliant design choice, really. There's really nothing more like it. Can you imagine that the actual bosses that you fight are the levels that the game's constructed around, you know? It's such a beautiful, you know, concept, really, and I think what, you know, lends itself to that beauty more is just how beautiful the game is constructed as well. I mean, the art direction is very, very, very beautiful. Although, again, you know, the... the, the main character isn't all that well fleshed out, but again, you know, he's just a nobody anyway, and really the, the point of this game is really in the beauty of the Colossi and how, you know, the world is constructed. Um, really, really cool. I mean, you know, I always look at any of the Colossi quite honestly and say like, wow, how, how the hell did these guys actually think up of these things? I mean, it reminds me very much of Monsters from you know um, geniuses like Hayao Miyazaki. I mean, you know all these crazy, weird, larger than life, literally monsters that come out of their imagination and are really, really fleshed out, really, really well. And they don't even—they're just really monsters. I mean, they don't even have to say anything. They don't—they don't even have to have a history. They're just—they—they're just you know their mere size and I guess presence is enough reason for them to actually exist. And that's really, really beautiful for me, I think. Um, you know, it's really in just their plain design and how well-crafted they are that, you know... I don't know. I mean, I'm really, really speechless about it because I can't really explain it all that well. But, you know, I guess it, the whole construction of the game too lends itself to that, that it really emphasizes these colossi and how beautiful they're made. Um, It's named Shadow of the Colossus, for one thing. The levels are these colossi. And, you know, there's just the, the scale in which they're created is just amazing. I mean, really, I've never seen a game that utilizes the worm's eye view as well as this game. Or I guess it's inherent in the design of the game that it has to utilize this worm's eye view. Because you really have to look up these, you know, 50-foot-tall, I don't know, even 50-meter-tall colossi, and this really, really amazing. I mean, I mean, you know, fine, of course. Of course the game isn't perfect. The controls are kind of, ske- are kind of sketchy. Um, they're not traditional, definitely, and a game that is non-traditional like this, I guess, deserves non-traditional controls as well. But I guess, you know, that's where the whole problems of the controls come in. It's not bad. It's just sort of unfamiliar, because... The game just does so many things differently. It's a game that... Um, you know, again, it's not an action-adventure. It's not really a platform or anything. But what you do is, when you face these colossi, there's only these particular points on the colossi that you can actually, you know, stab through that will hurt the colossi. And sometimes... um those points in the monster's body are found in its head, which is like 50 feet in the air. So what you do is basically you climb up these monsters and that's where the whole, you know, the colossi as the level really gets fleshed out even more. So it's sort of a platformer in that way because you keep jumping around from these places and grabbing fur from all over the, the, the colossi and, you know, stepping on ledges that are found on the colossi you know maybe the bracelet of the colossi or like the boot of the very boot of the colossi or stuff like that they turn out to be ledges that you can actually grab onto or walk on and everything and you know literally the colossi are really the levels i mean literally speaking right it's not just that they exist and you know just because they're the only things that happen in the game they're the levels no they're actually really living breathing levels that you walk on and really traverse much like in a platformer game so that said you know you basically take down these monsters, stab them through these like glowing symbols that they have on the on, on their body which are their weak points and you take them down and you basically complete the level and um Basically, kill the boss of that level, and which is odd because the boss and the level are the same, which is brilliant, right? I mean, any, anyway, uh, I, I know I keep repeating that, but that that's really the core of the game, and I think why this game is so special. Um, you know, the team that developed it is the team that made Eco, I and mean, it's a lesser known title, so lesser known, in fact, that I actually didn't know the game until people suddenly talked about it. It's kind of like Psychonauts, in a way, because, you know, it was so downplayed. Not not downplayed, but more of um, very discreet in its release and everything that not a lot of people knew about it. And hence, you know, I guess that partially hurt its sales and everything. I guess, yeah, it, it definitely hurt their sales. But, you know, I've heard very, very good things about Eco... Um, I might know know little about the game, but um, definitely the critical acclaim it's received from a lot of journalists and everything has really sparked my interest in the game. And I would have bought the game if it wasn't so hard to find. I mean, it's one of those games that was so... You know, it's one of those collector's items, I suppose, for lack of a better term to put put it right. But, you know, um, Team Eco, known for just you know, brilliant game design, I would say, and, you know, it shows definitely in their incarnation of Shadow of the Colossus. It's kind of disappointing, because I think people were expecting Team Ego to reveal their next game, their next-gen game, in this year's TGS, I think, if not, you know, one of those um, game conferences that happened recently, but unfortunately, I guess, you know, that didn't happen, but I definitely am one who is really looking forward to the next project of this particular team. And I really do hope, I think that, you know, Shadow of the Flaws really did well in the market. And I, you know, I really do applaud um, the fact that, you know, games that try to do stuff, that try to, again, I might sound like a broken record already, but try to move the industry forward, the medium forward. It's really nice when these developers, these games actually get the market success that they really do deserve. Because really, I mean, if it weren't for all these games, then you know the video game industry would be very, very stagnant and boring, quite honestly. And it's something I wouldn't even bother to deal with anymore. But again, time and time again, all these really, really passionate people, really, really brilliant people. I mean, much more brilliant, much more passionate than... Normal people give them credit for. Really, you know, surprise everybody and come out with all these brilliant, brilliant games. I mean, not just brilliant in, you know, their concept, but in just how entertaining they can be. I mean, that really is the important part of video games, right? But, and again, you know, if it's backed up with this crazy, amazing concept, then it's even better. So, you know, um,. That's it for Shadow of the Colossus, I guess. Um, Definitely a game I will finish through. And, you know, maybe after recording this podcast, I'll just jump right into it and kill another colossi. I mean, it's also one of those games, surprisingly, that you just pick up and play, really. I mean, because it just takes, what, 30 minutes to kill a colossi. And it's all... It's not very, very intimidating, at least up until this point. I mean, you know, the colossi aren't very, very difficult to kill. Very, very entertaining, actually. It's not very easy as well. You know, there's some puzzle elements to it, too. But anyway, you know, definitely if you don't know Shadow of the Colossus, if you don't own Shadow of the Colossus, pick it up, because it's just one of those games that really come once in a lifetime. Because I think, you know, Team Eco isn't really in the habit of making sequels or anything. And I don't think you'll ever see a Shadow of the Colossus 2. So definitely pick that up. Um, you'll definitely enjoy it as i as I very very much enjoyed it and that pretty that's pretty much it so stay tuned for our next segment. segment, segment, segment. So, welcome to our last segment which is Sandbox where I basically talk about anything I want to, anything, you know, out of the blue. And this week in, you know, in celebration of Halloween and All Souls Day, I suppose, I wanted to talk about the horror genre in general. I mean, in video games and movies or whatever. And it's something, you know, that sort of interests me just recently because I don't know, maybe it's, you know, this whole Halloween Halloween fever or whatever. Everybody's Going through, and you know, I have played some horror games recently, much like Dead Space or what have yous, and I have watched um, a horror film quite recently, um, which was El Or uh, Orfanato, was it? Or basically the orphanage. I watched the Spanish dubbed, well, the Spanish you know version, subtitle and English subtitled version of the movie, and you know, the thing is. To me, the horror genre seems to have lost all its horror to me, at least. You know, forgive me for using that. Um, it's just that you know, it's, it's interesting, because there doesn't seem to be anything of recent memory, at least, that has really scared me all that much. I mean, I don't know. Am I just really desensitized or something? Um, I remember those days when, you know, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't even take a bath thinking of these crazy movies that, you know, or shows that I've watched or something. And, you know, it's that lasting, you know, um, I don't know, scare factor that really makes a horror thing, movie or game, whatever it is, really scary to me. And, you know, unfortunately, I guess I just haven't had my fix of that quite recently or of recent memory. I mean, you know, let's just take Dead Space, for example. I think I mentioned it last week. You know, as scary as everybody says it is, as much of a horror, you know, sci-fi thing game that it was marketed as, you know, it didn't really scare me all that much. I mean, it, it surprised me a lot of times. There were a lot of really surprising moments where, you know, sound effects suddenly just, you know, spook you out and just really give you a nudge and, like, oh and, you know, just give you that momentary, you know, um, raised heartbeat. But really, anything that was really horrifying or anything, not really. I mean, it did... The atmosphere of the game was really, really amazing. I mean, I, yeah, I couldn't really play it without the, the lights and everything and call me a coward for not being able to do that. But really, again, the thing is... I don't know. Um, It seems, you know, sort of lacking to me because I remember days wherein the the horror factor of it really lasted more, you know, well after having played the game or having watched the movie. Is that just really my age showing or something? I really don't know. Um, I don't know. Do you guys agree? Um, Is a good horror film really just, or a horror game really just something that scares you as you're playing it, as you're watching it, or should the experience really stay? Because the thing is, let's say, okay, uh, the last thing that really, really scared me, to be honest, was probably the success. And why did that scare me so much? Well, because, you know, it's something that seemed a lot more real to me, you know, something that could happen to me. Um, What if I could see ghosts? What if I could see, you know, the dead lying around that nobody else can see, I mean, that just basically creeped me out, I mean, I couldn't couldn't really go to the bathroom without really being scared and thinking that, you know, after opening the shower curtain or opening the the door or whatever, I'll see something, right? You know, that was just freaking scary and, you know, that lasted for three days and that was just, you know, excruciating for me, I mean, even walking down the hall or anything, Seriously, after wa- after bathing, I really had to run to my room because, you know, the hallway just freaking creeped me out and I couldn't really get myself to, you know, just walk casually through an empty hallway because I might see something. And remember that scene in The Sixth Sense, where I think they were in the school or something, and, you know, um, one of the halls had this family that hung itself or something. That it was just freaking creepy. But of course, the scariest part of it was when, you know, the boy in the story saw this girl um, under the sheets. That was just freaking creepy. I mean, you know, that one place as a child that you thought was safe from all the, all these monsters, all these ghosts, was under your sheets. And the fact that he saw a freaking ghost under the sheets was just freaking creepy, you know. I mean, I don't know about you, but it's still, you know, I'm getting goosebumps right now just thinking about it. Um, but, you know, that, again, to me, is a sign of a really, really good horror film that the effects of it, the thoughts of it, you know, the concept of it stays with you well after the movie. I mean, for days, for goodness sake. I mean, after just watching a 2 hour movie, creeps you out for the next few days. So oh, that is a very, very good... Creepy movie. I mean, supposedly, The Ring, or Ring, was very scary. I mean, I only saw the Japanese version of it, but, you know, I was basically laughing throughout throughout the, the movie. It didn't really creep me out afterwards because it was just too ridiculous, really. I mean, this... Are you serious? This, this girl really comes out of the freaking screen? Or mirrors or something like that? I mean, come on. I mean, it's just not all that believable. I mean... I would definitely fall more for the, you know, for the, um, I don't know, supernaturalness of Sixth Sense than something that comes crawls out of, of the static of your TV. Um, and again, you know, things like, what do you call this, even Resident Evil 4. I mean, okay, fine. I mean, Resident Evil isn't really known to be horror horror, although it is, you know, the one that started the whole um survival horror genre. I mean it's not scary. It's not known to be scary. But supposedly it should be scary, but I don't know. It really is what's scary about the game is not really how I don't know, horrific the the the, the, the monsters are or the zombies are or anything like that. It's really more you know, the suspense, the you know the raised heartbeat that it gives you when you're confronted with certain enemies i mean especially in resident evil 4 the thing that scared me shitless really was that wolverine kind of character the thing that was blind that basically acted like a berserker in gears of war 2 that you know it just acted through sound if it heard your footsteps that it heard you shooting it knew where you were and basically charged you with these crazy claws right and that thing just really really scared me because you know these things, for some reason, these blind things that move really, really quickly, are pretty much invulnerable. Um, much like, you know, yes, the berserker you could only kill with a hammer of dawn, and in this case, this thing I forgot what it was called in Resident Evil Four, you could only shoot through the back, and that was very, very difficult to do. The thing is, the berserker you could easily avoid because um, Marcus and all the other gears guys could actually strafe from side to side, but in Resident Evil 4, you would know definitely that you can't strafe. You could, you basically had to turn and you turn very, very slowly in the game. There is no panic in Leon or anything. And you had to run out of the way, you know? You could have just basically sidestep your way and avoid this crazy guy with a freaking claw. No, you can't do that. You really have to plan your steps ahead. And since you really, really moved quite slowly in the game, that just really raised the tension and really scare the shit out of you right and you know that's i guess to the, the you know the extent to which resident evil was scary to me i mean the chainsaw guy was very you know, you know makes you panic morally more or more so it doesn't scare you it makes you panic right and that's not scary right i don't know um and again the orphanage when i watched it i was really expecting to be very very scared and i actually was very nervous when Coming into the theater, I didn't, I wasn't really sure if I wanted to watch it, but you know, I came out of the movie not really scared at all. And you know, right now with my mom in the States and everything, I'm just at home and I was alone already at the point wherein I watched this movie. And I was sort of hoping that it would scare me enough, much like Sixth Sense, and I was actually waiting for Tomas, who is basically, you know, the creepiest thing in the movie, to show himself up. In, in in my house, you know, just to just kind of creep me out because, I guess, I don't know, I was bored or something. I was sort of hoping that I would actually expect him to be up in the stairs as I was moving up the stairs. And the thing is, that we have this small chair that, for some reason, faces the stairs as you go up and you see this this empty chair. I was sort of hoping he'd be there sitting down, but you know, no, it wasn't. So, you know, that kind of sparked all of this um, thoughts about the horror genre and how maybe it's changed over the years that it's not all that scary anymore you know it's I guess because it's not very realistic anymore it's not something that people would think would happen to them at home and the thing is with horror it really is about monsters. It really is about the supernatural. If it starts having, you know, people in it or something, then that becomes a slasher flick. Flick that becomes suspense thriller already, right? Has to deal with all these supernatural elements, monsters, ghosts, or the paranormal or whatever, right? Um, You know, uh, it's just kind of strange. Or, you know, really it might not be the genre itself. It might not be how it has evolved all these years. It might just be me. Um, it I might just be completely desensitized by it. I mean, I remember being scared of Resident Evil 2. But again, you know, it's more like a panic thing. Um, even now, you know, having played through Dead Space, I could easily go through the game. I mean, you know, it, it scared me. Made me look at uh, my back a few times. Like I said, double take or whatever. But, you know... Uh, you know, it didn't last. I mean, I didn't imagine all these, um, what do you call them, necro whatever is in the game to actually come out in my room or, you know, come out in the bathroom or something whenever there's something claustrophobic, right? That's when it's scariest for these things to come out. But, you know, it never really lasted beyond the game to me. And I don't know probably is my age it probably is me just being jaded and desensitized about all these things but you know i'm still hoping for that game to come out that could really really genuinely scare me afterwards much like sixth sense did but you know the thing is i'm not much of a horror film buff or anything you know i'm actually quite scared of watching these things kind of like how you be scared of going into a roller coaster like when you're actually there you're kind of questioning why the hell am i here kind of thing but you know um it just would be sort of nice to um feel that again that 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 sensation of being scared beyond your wits wits even after going through the horror medium or game is it or horror film so I guess, you know, that's my Halloween discussion for the week or anything. Um, and I guess that's where I will end this podcast now. Although, I do want to take this time, you know, um, just to kind of slow things down and mellow things down. Uh, and being it, that it is not just Halloween, but, well, you know, uh, it was Halloween yesterday, but now it's All Souls today, you know. I would like to take a moment to remember one of the more special people in my life who just passed away a month ago. And that's my grandfather or my Lola. Um You know, um, we weren't close. We weren't very close or anything. Um, but the thing is why I say he's very, very special to me. And I sort of regret not letting him know about this. But, you know, he was special because he was the only one who really supported me in my hobby of video games. I mean, I mean him and his, and my grandmother, of course, but him most especially, because he was really the one who went out there to really get me these games. I mean, like I said, you know, I'm, like, the title of the podcast, Dokkan Gamer, I'm not all that well off or anything. I mean, I'm not, I'm not completely poor or anything, but definitely it hurts whenever I do buy video games. Um, I remember back in the day when I was, you know, 10 years old and everything... When I first got my Super NES, that's when my grandfather, my Lolo, really, you know, intervened or anything. He was really the one who bought me all these games. Um, he bought me my Super NES, and I remember that came with Super Mario World, which came with the system, and Street Fighter 2, um... You know, that was really the first games he bought me. And definitely all the games after that, up until the Dreamcast, which is the last system I owned before my five-year hiatus, that, you know, made me miss the first few years of the PlayStation 2 um, and the GameCube and everything. Um, He really was my provider of everything video games. Um, You know... uh, I always offered to pay for the games, but he never really accepted. I did not save up for the games, quite honestly. Um, I really, you know, starved myself in school just to be able to buy these games. And like I said earlier in this podcast, you know, luckily games then didn't come, you know, quality games at least, didn't come out as frequently as they do now. So I could really afford to just buy a few games every year. And he was really the one who bought these games for me. Um, you know, I would... You know, the internet didn't exist then yet. And, you know, my lola lives in San Diego. Um, he lives in the States. So that's why I could have access to these original games. Because back here at home, you know... Um, they did exist, you know, piracy of um, cartridge games isn't all that practical as they are DVDs or CD games but you know it's just freaking so much more expensive here than it was in in the states even back then so I really couldn't afford to buy games here but since my grandmother and my grandfather always went home every year during Christmas and I thought to myself it would be in my best interest to basically ask them to buy games for me and offer to pay for them but like I said, they never really accepted or anything, and, um, if there is one person, really, who helped me out and really, I don't know, um, how do you call it, supported me, or, you know, unknowing to him, even, you know, I don't even think he made such a big deal out of it, I mean, it was really, to him, it was just really his grandson really asking him to buy stuff for him. Um, and you know, again, we're not a very rich family, not not well off or anything. So I really do appreciate them having bought all these games for me. Um, and you know, I just really want to dedicate this podcast to him. I I want to dedicate a few prayers for him, of course, and um, of course, and other things to him, but. You know, I just wanted to honor his memory especially in this podcast. I wanted to make a point of that especially this week because you know, I wouldn't be talking to you guys right now if it weren't for him, if it weren't for his support and again, you know it makes it all the more bittersweet that he probably didn't know at all what he was contributing to me in my life, you know um, it was just games for him as you know it is for most people. Games are just toys and, you know, my grandson's just asking me to buy him a toy and everything, so why not? But, you know, it just really meant and means more a lot to me than what he could have ever imagined or fathomed, and I really do thank him for that. Um, He was that somebody who supported me without question, and, you know, I really do appreciate that, and you know, the fruits of his support, of his undying support, unquestioning support, I suppose is the more correct term to go with, Um, is this, that I am really enjoying what I am doing for a living. And, you know, it's really doing and living out your passion, living out your dreams. Um, You know, uh, his support basically took a video game player into a real gamer, somebody who really loves industry who you know um, I think goes out of his way I mean I don't mean to sound very arrogant or anything but you know I just really want to emphasize just how much he has contributed to being you know to me to whoever I turned out to be and you know I I would like to think I I turned out pretty well um, that you know I can dedicate my life to this thing, this thing called video games, and, you know, it's more than just a hobby to me now. It's really a way of life. It's really a way of thinking. It's really a sort of way to, you know, prove myself to a lot of people, because, again, the whole video game experience to me was fraught with a lot of adversity. It has been very, very challenging all these years, not just financially or anything, But really, you know, having to deal with people who aren't as passionate about something like you are. And I guess, you know, it's different from being a real artist or, you know, a sculptor or painter or something. Because people do appreciate that. And the thing is, with video games, like I said earlier, it's just really toys to pretty much everybody. And they don't really appreciate it as deeply as I do or anything. And to them, it really is sort of a pointless, fruitless endeavor. To even dedicate yourself to some to a toy for goodness sake, right? Um if you become a doctor, if you become a scientist, if you're passionate about these things, then well and good, right? But to be passionate about video games, come on, like whoever really gives that a second chance, right? Um But again, you know, it was this sort of it was this, you know, old man I mean, not to be condescending or anything, but it was this, you know, very, very simple, humble very funny um, man who just really supported me regardless of, you know, how video games might have been treated back in the day. And, you know, he never really, I remember actually, particularly, I never asked for Mortal Kombat 3. But for some reason, one Christmas, it was just there. I mean, he bought it for me, I suppose. Maybe it's just one of those things. He never said that he got it for me out of his own free will or anything, but I I distinctly remember not asking for it, but it was just there, and you know, while Mortal Kombat 3 isn't really very, very known or anything, but you know, the fact that he bought me a game that was pretty much M-rated, even at... especially at the time, is a testament to just how much he supported me as a gamer, and I remember even you know, uh, did newspaper clippings about video games and sent it over through snail mail, just to me, right? Um, yeah, this is really, really cool because, you know, definitely if there was somebody I owe my, you know, my present you know, as a video gamer, then it would probably, probably be him. Um I can't Think of anybody else who ever supported me in this hobby of mine, in this passion of mine, other than him. Um, that's not to say anything bad about anybody, but it's a really to stress just how special he was in my life. And wherever you are, Lolo, um, I really hope you're in a better place. You deserve it, most definitely. Um, you might not have, might not have been very, very close, but I just really want you to know that, yeah, um, you made that difference in my life, enough of a difference to really make me go back to video games, even after you, you know, I basically stopped asking you for video games. And, you know, um, it's really, really cool for you to have supported me and all of that. And while other people might have the fun uncle, you know, the fun aunt or something, I guess that was you to me. You were that relative of mine who made that, that, dent in my life and i'd like to thank you for that so you know um hopefully for all you guys who also have this special person who supported you and your and your passion your hobbies the things you find very very important to you in particular you know just remember them in this all saints all souls day if they have passed away as well and you know um here are respects for all these people who really made our life so much richer than it would have been. Or at least, not even richer, really, but people who just support us for who we are, for what we love. And, you know, um, that to me, really, just makes their life, or at least the life they live in this world, so much richer, so much better. And, um, don't forget to let them know that while they're still alive, if, you know, you ever get the chance or something. Uh, so again, thanks, Lola, so much. And I will remember you. You'll always be in my prayers. And thank you, thank you. again. So that's it for episode 4 of the Dokkan Gamer. I will definitely see you guys next week again. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And see you around then. Bye!